ahead, take your seats. As you're doing that, open up your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2, prophet Haggai chapter 2, and if you're having trouble finding Haggai, just go to Matthew in the New Testament, first book in the New Testament, go back a few books, Malachi, Zechariah, and then Haggai will be there, third to last in the Old Testament. We're continuing this morning where we left off last week, and I just want to begin by asking you all, a question, if you would consider this with me uh, this morning, have you ever had a hard time keeping up with and continuing on in something that you've started? Or maybe I could put it another way, maybe I'll say it like this, who wants to start this morning's sermon with lying? <laughs> right, this is common to all of us, we experience the ups and downs, you know, the, the seeing that a, a practice or a habit will, would be good for us to adopt, and so we resolve to get after it, only to look back in the rearview mirror after just uh, maybe a short time, a few weeks or a couple of months, and we think, well, what happened? What happened? The wheels fell off, or, or I drifted off course. And usually it's not in the easy stuff, right? Usually it's it's the difficult things where there's blood and sweat and, and tears required, where we need to persevere, and yet we're so prone. We're so prone to go back to the old ways. Or maybe we're prone to keep on going somewhat down the track, maybe one foot on and one foot off, forgetting the, the heart behind, the, the very reason behind why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. We find ourselves going through the motions. And I wonder if, if you've been in one of these places and you can remember a, a voice in your life, maybe a friend or, or a mentor who, who came alongside of you and said, don't stop. Keep on going. Don't, don't go back to the way things were. Remember how that went. That wasn't good. Keep your eyes ahead. Focused. On the end goal. Remember why you're doing this. Haggai is such a voice for us this morning. And in chapter 2, we're going to see Haggai coming to the Lord's people and telling them, stick with it. Stick with it. Stay focused on the Lord and His promises to you. And last week in chapter 1, just to kind of reset and bring us back to the context, we saw that Haggai came to the people of God in Jerusalem after they had come back from captivity in Babylon. The, the king of Persia had given a, a royal edict that allowed them to go back and rebuild the temple. And so the people of, of God came, the Israelites came to Jerusalem and they began working on the temple. And yet, it wasn't too long before work on the temple had ceased. It had stopped and, and God sent to them this prophet Haggai to call out to them, hey, hey, come on. Get back to work. Consider your ways. Con consider how you've built your own houses and you've neglected to build the house of the Lord. Consider your apathy. Consider how your actions are actually demonstrating that you really don't care about the presence of the Lord in your life at all. You need to get back to work, he told them. Your heart needs a reset. You've, you've lost focus on what really matters. And the people responded well. They said, you're right. 
You're right. And, and the Lord stirred up the Spirit within them to again prioritize His presence and get to work building the temple. Today in chapter 2, we're going to see the Lord continues to fill the mouth of the prophet even after the work of rebuilding has resumed. After the prophet has shown up and declared it's time to pursue the presence of the Lord. Listen, he comes again and he says, keep on pursuing the presence of the Lord. Keep on pursuing the presence of the Lord. You've begun a good work. You've resolved to get after the very best thing. Now don't stop. Keep on pursuing the presence of the Lord. We so desperately need to hear this message. We can be pursuing the things of the Lord and we can easily go off track. We, we can have the best of intentions. Right? And, and we can look back and say, what happened? I, I, I wanted to. I, I, I resolved to. And this close walk with the Lord that we so desperately desire, the presence that we want to experience in our walk with Him, the things of His kingdom, can go by the wayside. And we lose focus. And we turn to other pursuits. Especially when it's hard, right? So we need this message from the Lord this morning. Look with me at Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says that in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now here's the first thing that the Lord's prophet says in our passage this morning. He says this, persevere in your toil. Persevere in your toil. You need to keep on pursuing the presence of the Lord and in order to do this, you need to persevere in your toil. Striving for an intimate walk with the Lord. Pursuing close communion with Him where, where sin is being put to death and righteousness 
is being fervently sought after. And no doubt this requires a lot from us, and sometimes we are tempted to give up. Fellowship with the Lord requires hard work and exertion. This is the way that the Apostle Paul talks about the Christian life. He uses words like energy and toil and discipline. And this is what we need to remember if if we want to experience close communion with God. We need to remember that a continuous, sustained, strenuous effort is needed. We need to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said to His disciples, if you want to come after Me, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross daily and follow Me. You need to crucify your own fleshly desires that are not in line with My Spirit. This is hard work and and sometimes in all of this toil, it doesn't look like we're making a whole lot of gain. We don't experience what we thought we were going to experience by now in our walk with the Lord. And we can get discouraged. And we can begin to think maybe, is, is there really any point to all of this hard work? This is what was happening here to the Israelites. In verse 3, we see that the prophet asks him a question. He says, who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? Who's here today, he says, almost 70 years later, who saw the, the original temple that Solomon built in all of its grandeur and all of its glory? And then he looks at this pile of rubble on the ground. And he he knew, in fact, Ezra chapter 3 tells us in the historical account of what was going on here that the old men, when, when the temple was beginning to be rebuilt, were weeping with loud lamentations mixed together with rejoicing from the young men who were excited that the temple is being rebuilt and, and the two were coming together and there was sorrow among many because they knew this just wasn't the same. This, this is not what we hoped for. This isn't what we hoped we were going to see. I just want you to think of this in your own spiritual life. Maybe you feel like this sometimes when it comes to drawing near to the Lord and seeking His presence in your life. Hoping and expecting that He will draw near to you in a certain way and yet still feeling like it's more distant. And so we need to draw our attention to God's Word and we need to see even the first two words in verse 4. Haggai says, yet now. Yet now. This is very important. He says, listen, even if you feel this way, listen, what does he say? Be strong. Be strong. Three times. Did you see that in the text? I, I highlighted them in my Bible. Be strong, he says. Be strong. A message from the Lord. Be strong. Work, he says. Work. Do what I've called you to do. Persevere in your toil. Keep on seeking my face. Keep on pursuing me. This is what we're called to when we're discouraged. When things aren't going the way we hoped that they would go. And you and I, we haven't exactly been called to to go up into the hills and get the logs and bring them back 
to build a physical house for the Lord, right? But we are called the temple of the Lord. We are called living stones. And we are called to keep on pursuing Him and His kingdom. We're called to keep on drawing near to Him through time spent in His Word, through, through time spent on our knees in prayer. We are called to keep on walking in His ways, serving the church, telling the world about Jesus Christ. We're called to keep on in our toil and in our exertion in the Christian life. Knowing that, that persevering in these things is not easy. It's not burdensome. Don't, don't hear me say that. It's not burdensome, but it's not easy. It's not easy. Pursuing the Lord and His presence requires toil. It requires hard work. It requires striving. And the decision that you and I have to make daily is this. Will, will I toil? Will I toil today? Will I continue to seek after the things of the Lord even when it's difficult? Even when it doesn't look the way I hoped it would look? Will I remain hungry for the Lord? Or will I drift backwards into the things of the world, into the things that satisfy the desires of my flesh apart from the Spirit of God? And listen, listen, church, I, I can't make this decision for you. right? Your husband can't make this decision for you. Your wife can't make this decision for you. Your parents can't make this decision for you. You need to make this decision. You need to decide to persevere in your toil. And maybe you know, you're hearing me call you to this and you're saying, well, is it really up to me? I mean, I, I can't possibly do this. And we, we want to do away with, I want to address the false dichotomy that sometimes we, we create in our own minds as though it was either up to us or it was up to just the Lord to keep us pursuing Him. It's, it's both. It's both, okay? Understand that. It is up to us. We are called to keep on pursuing the Lord, to be strong and work, but not apart from Him. He promises to help us. Look at the end of verse 4. I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. My spirit, verse 5, remains in your midst. And so we need to remember when it's hard to persevere, He remains faithful. He is with us. He calls us to work, and yet He also promises to work in us. That's Philippians chapter 2, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God who is at work in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. I love how one commentator that I read this week uh, tried to helpfully shed some light on this. He said, so often we, we look at our circumstances, we look at our life and our pursuit of the Lord's presence and, and we say this, we say, I can't, therefore I won't. I can't, therefore I won't. And that leaves the Lord completely out of it, right? Instead, we need to say this. I can't. It's true, I can't. But He can. So I will. See the difference there? 
See the resolve to get after it in the Spirit's strength and help? His promise to be present with us must help us in our perseverance and it must overrule our sense of despondency when we get discouraged. We must stick with it. We must persevere and keep on pursuing Him, asking His Spirit to help us along the way. When's the last time that you asked, just think for a second, when's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit, when's the last time you pleaded with the Holy Spirit of God to help you keep on pursuing Him when it's hard? This needs to be a frequent prayer in our prayer life. And the Lord says, fear not. Fear not, I am with you. I'm not going to leave you. And He reminds them of His bringing them out of Egypt. And I was reminded this week in thinking about that of something that the Lord said to Joshua who brought the people into the promised land. You remember He said to Joshua, He said, I will not leave you or forsake you. And listen, if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, that promise is for you. He will not leave you or forsake you as you seek Him. As you keep on pursuing Him, He will be with you every step of the way. The Lord promises this and He tells us to persevere. And He says in verses 6-9, through nine, in a little while, you will experience the fullness of my presence. We're reminded in these verses as some of the Israelites are discouraged by the lack of splendor of this second temple, that the whole world belongs to the Lord and that there's a day coming when He will disrupt and bring to an end the current order of all things and He will establish a house of glory that far surpasses anything that anyone has ever seen. And then the fullness of the presence of His glory will be revealed. God says in these verses, don't worry. Don't worry. Fear not. Be strong and work. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. And we're going to come back to this in just a little bit as, as the prophet comes back to this at the end of the chapter. But listen, while we wait for these things, while we wait for the promises of the Lord, let us persevere in our toil. Let's persevere in our toil. This is the third oracle given by the prophet. Let's turn our attention now to the fourth oracle. Look with me at verse 10. It says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. And then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, 
And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. I will bless you. Next, we see that if you're going to keep on pursuing in the presence of the Lord, you need to persevere in your toil with a devoted heart. With a devoted heart. The prophet tells us here that there is such a thing as going through some outward religious type motions while inwardly remaining undedicated to the Lord. You know, we could, we could come to church, we could read our Bibles and even pray and yet still not experience the presence of the Lord because our hearts are not truly devoted to Him. What God is saying here in, in this passage is, I can't bless partial obedience. I want all of your heart. Okay, hear that this morning. The Lord wants all of your heart. You can't pick and choose where you're going to serve Him. You, you, you can't go and pursue the Lord's presence in some areas of your life and in other areas of, of your life neglect to follow the ways of the Lord. It's not going to work. You can't expect to walk closely with the Lord if He doesn't have your whole heart. And to give this lesson, Haggai asked the priest about the law and issues of religious purity to explain this, that sin is easily spread, but holiness is not. Okay, now let me explain. This can be kind of tricky to read through these things. And so let me just explain to you with an illustration what's going on here. Here's here's what he's saying. Here's what the Lord is communicating to us through Haggai the prophet. He's saying, listen, if... If I have the flu, okay, let's say I have the stomach flu, all right, and you're healthy, and I show up at your house. Do you catch the stomach flu, or do I catch healthy? (laughs) Right? It's obvious. Sin is contagious. Sin corrupts. And so what he's saying with all this talk of the holy meat and the dead bodies is that If there's sin remaining in your life and it's not being dealt with, then the acts of righteousness that you're trying to do are tainted. The righteous acts don't cancel out the unrighteous. Rather, the the disobedience taints the supposed righteous acts. So we see that coming to church on a Sunday morning doesn't cancel out a week of not pursuing the things of the Lord. 
opening the Word of God and asking for a blessing in your life isn't going to work if He doesn't have your whole heart. And some of you, some of you are saying, I, I just never feel like I can get close to God. You know, you're talking about walking closely in the presence of the Lord, and I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that feels like. Could, could it be that the reason that this is happening is because you're holding a smoking gun behind your back? You're trying to experience the presence of the Lord while at the same time you're holding on to some sin in your life and you won't let go? It's not going to work. You can't remain in sin and have meaningful fellowship with the Lord. You can't hide unrighteousness in your life and hope to experience the sweetness of His presence. And here for the Jews, it was, it was made abundantly clear that they were to rebuild the temple. And Haggai reminds him, he says, up until this time, you hadn't done what the Lord was calling you to do. And he asked them, he says, do you remember how that went? How did that go for you? How did you fare when you were resisting the Lord and you were trying to go your own way? Even though maybe you were doing other religious looking things. I mean, these were Israelites after all, descendants of Abraham. Children of the seed of promise. They had even set up an altar where they were offering sacrifices to the Lord. And yet, the temple, like the skeleton of the temple, is lying there just screaming out to them, hey, do you remember what you're supposed to be doing here? The Lord says, remember what it was like when you were living this way. Life was burdensome. Life was continuously lacking. You had no peace in your life. And just in case you thought it was natural disasters or maybe the, maybe the condition of the soil or we didn't, we didn't plant the seeds quite the right way, no, the Lord makes it abundantly clear. He says, it was me. It was me. I did this. I struck you, verse 17 says. It didn't just happen. It wasn't a coincidence. People should have known what it said in the book of the law in Leviticus chapter 26 that there are blessings for obedience. The Lord says, if you will walk in my ways, if you will not neglect my commandments, but follow me with the whole heart, you will have rain in your seasons. He says, I will renew your barns with with fresh crops before you're even done with the old ones. But if you won't follow me, if you will go your own way, if you will follow after the desires of your sinful heart, I will make it hard for you, says the Lord. Blessings. This is the pattern of the Bible. Blessings for obedience. Hardship. Cursing for disobedience. Unless we think, well, this is is Old Testament. This is Israel. Listen to what uh, the, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, he, he's telling the church to live lives of holiness, pursuing the things of the Lord, doing what the Lord commands, and he says, do this so that you will obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue 
from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is written to the church. Old Testament, I think it's Psalm 37, and he applies it to the church and he says, listen, follow the Lord. Persevere in your toil with a, with a heart that's fully devoted to Him and it will go well with you. And if you don't, it will not go well with you. And listen, friends, this is the grace of God. We need to see this as the grace of God. God says, I have a purpose in this and it's to draw you back to Me. It's to bring you back into My presence. I'll send affliction and and a feeling sense of of distance from me into your life when your heart's not devoted to me. And I intend this as a discipline to bring you back to me. This is what Hebrews chapter 12 says. It says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who continue on in their ways. No, to those who have been trained by it. And what does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Repentance. Repentance, it it looks like getting on our knees, even our face before the Lord, confessing our sin. Turning away from the things that are not pleasing to Him and turning to Him and saying, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Reveal to me even the things I don't currently see. Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning thinking I'm talking about just these big, egregious sins only that are just clear, clearly obvious. Yes, those definitely need to be addressed. But you know what else needs to be addressed? Those little seeds in our hearts that can grow if they're left unchecked. And we need to pray the prayer of the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart and see is there any offensive way, any grievous way within me And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, show me. Is there any waywardness at all? Is there any way in my heart, even if you're not aware of any, is there any way that my heart is not fully devoted to you? Lord, reveal that to me so I can repent of it. Because I want to walk closer with you, Lord. The Lord wants you to return to Him. That's what verse 17 says. You did not return to me, declares the Lord. That's why things continue to go the way they did. You couldn't experience my blessing while you were doing your own thing. And for some of you, maybe life feels chaotic right now. Maybe it it feels like you can't make any gains in your spiritual life. I remember remember this week, I was thinking about um, when I was trained in biblical counseling. And the professor... Dr. John Street, I remember he, he told this story that has obviously stuck with me all of these years. And, and he says he, he would get in the, the room with a, a couple to do some marriage counseling. They'd, they'd come, they'd asked for help. Their marriage, we could say, was in shambles. And he's asking them, okay, so tell me what's going on. And he's asking questions. They're revealing to him the circumstances and their heart. And it gets to the point where he says, okay, here's what you need to do. Listen. And he's giving them spiritual wisdom, counsel from God's word, and, and the response is, who, who are you to tell me 
these things. And I'm not going to do that. And he looked at us in the class and, and he said, you know, I said to them, like, is my marriage a mess? Like, you came to me for help. Look at your life. How's it going for you right now? And you're not going to turn to the Lord? Some of you, your, your marriages are, are, are in shambles right now, and, it, and it's, you need to turn to the Lord with your whole heart. Some of you, maybe it's another area of your life, and you're looking, and you're like, things are just upside down all the time. Why is it? Maybe, maybe it's because you need to devote your heart fully to the Lord. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that all adversity in our life is a result of our sin. Don't hear me say that, but here's what I'm saying. Here's, here's what God's Word is saying. You better make sure. You better make sure. Because even, even in adversity, even in suffering, we can walk really close with the Lord if our hearts are right before Him. Some of you, in order to rebuild fellowship with the Lord and experience His spiritual blessing in your life, you need to demonstrate a heart that's truly devoted to Him by putting away sexual immorality. Just as clear as, as it was for the Israelites to rebuild the temple, the, the Lord has made it abundantly clear that we are to have nothing to do with sexual immorality, and yet some of you are, are still dabbling, or even more than dabbling, in sexual sin. And you're not going to experience a close walk with the Lord if you remain there and you don't turn back to Him. For some of you, maybe it's your love of stuff. You're just obsessed with your car, or your home, or money, or your job, or clothes, or whatever it is. The Lord doesn't have your whole heart. Your heart's divided. And he, he says, come back to me. Turn back to me so that it will go well with you. For some of you, it's your pride. Maybe, maybe you think you can handle life on your own. Maybe, maybe you think you're wiser than you really are. The Lord says, this is not the heart of a follower of me. Turn back to me. Give me your whole heart. Because listen, no amount of religious activity is, is going to be able to decontaminate the sin that's in your life. Only repentance will do. And again, no one else can do this for you. This is a decision that you need to make. And, and I urge you to, if, if it's necessary, make it this very day. Don't just hear the truth this morning and say, yeah, okay, I see that. I see how it says that in God's Word. No. Respond to the truth of God's Word. Today, in your heart, seek the Lord. And He will bless you. That's His promise. I will bless you. There's no condemnation. The Lord says, I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness if you confess your sins before Me. I will draw you back into My presence and we will walk closely together. Verse 18, the prophet says, Consider from this day onward, well, your heart wasn't devoted to me. I couldn't bless you. But if your heart is mine now, he says, I will. I will. And he says, the seed of repentance will bear fruit. That's verse 19. And he gives them this reminder, even, even now after they had begun to again rebuild the temple. 
They had turned back to him, but he says, remember how it went when you didn't. And don't go back to that place. Keep on pursuing me. Keep on persevering in your toil with a devoted heart. Don't stop. Don't stop. And then the word of the Lord comes to Haggai with this final message. It says in verse 20 that the word of the Lord came a second time. That's the second time on this particular day, on the 24th day of the month. Two sermons in one day. He says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. Verse 23, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. We see here finally that the Lord calls us to persevere in your toil with a devoted heart. The Savior's coming. The Savior's coming. Keep on pursuing the presence of the Lord, he says, because there's a day fixed when He will come. He will come and He will cause every opposing kingdom to perish. Complete and utter destruction will be upon every nation and person who set themselves against the Lord and His anointed. And he says, set your hope on this. There is a day of reckoning coming when all the wrongs will be made right. And, and God says, and he, he says, I'm going to act. He says, I'm going to shake. I'm going to overthrow. I'm going to destroy all those who are against me and my people. It's going to be decisive. It will be final. And all the rebels rebels on this whole earth I will bring to destruction before me and I will establish my king. Do you believe this this morning? Are you ready for this day? There's some in this room who are going to be on the wrong side if if you don't turn and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Because what God tells His people here is, I will save you. Through this prophecy, He says, I am going to save you. He promises to raise up a new leader for His people. And He says, I will accomplish my purposes through my appointed king. And He singles out Zerubbabel, the current governor of Judah, as playing a major role in His plans for the future. The Lord calls Zerubbabel here His servant. He says, I've chosen him, and he will be like a signet ring. A signet ring symbolizes regal authority, royal power. It's worn by the personal representative of the king. And all this kingly language we see here as this book comes to a close, For any attentive Israelite, it would have immediately brought to mind David and the promised Messiah. Calling Zerubbabel my servant 
marks him out and links him to the ultimate Davidic king. Ezekiel, the prophet, prior to these days, he said these words, he said, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Listen, at the time of this prophecy, David had long since been dead. And yet the hope of the people was that one day, one day the Lord would send a son of David, the true David, the righteous branch, to rule and to reign forever over the Lord's kingdom. Would it be Zerubbabel? No. But through Zerubbabel, God reminds His people that His promise still stands. is, Is our God still for us? Taken down into Babylon, temple desecrated. Is God still going to provide for us a a Savior in the line of David? Of course He is, because He's faithful. Zerubbabel, just like David, was a representative figure pointing forward to the coming Savior. Zerubbabel, it says he's the governor of Judah, was pointing forward to the lion of the tribe of Judah. Go forward in your Bible, just a few books to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Do you ever, do you ever think about Haggai at Christmas time? <laughs> Probably not, right? Look at Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of David. <laughs> This is Him. He's here. The Messiah has arrived. The son of Abraham. And He goes on to list from Abraham to David. And then in verse 6, from David to Jeconiah. In verse 11, at the time of the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was Zerubbabel's grandfather. And at the time of the deportation to Babylon, the Lord said He took the signet ring Away from Jeconiah. This is in Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah tells us this. So the Lord, He brings His people into captivity. And maybe they're wondering, what's going on here, God? What about your servant David that was to come? Verse 12, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. And so on and so forth. Down. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All of God's promises made through Haggai would ultimately be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Savior who has come and who is coming again. He came just over 500 years after Haggai's prophesying. 
He came not as a king, but as a servant. To lay down his life for his people. He came not as a lion, but as a lamb. A lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. At this time, he had no form or majesty, no no beauty that many would desire him. Rather, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came to save his people from their sins, to be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The Savior died and was raised to life. Do you know him? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you come to him repenting of a life of of rebellion, refusing to follow his ways? Have you experienced the new birth? Have you experienced the Spirit's presence in your life? The peace that God brings through coming to Christ. Listen, there's a day when He will come again. A second time. And things are going to be very different than the first. That's what we're reading about here in this passage. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, the author of Hebrews says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Are you eagerly waiting for Him? And I don't just mean this if you're not a follower of Christ. This is for Christians. Are you eagerly waiting for His return? Because that's who the Word of God says He's coming for. Those who are eagerly waiting for His return. And that's what the Lord through Haggai is stirring our hearts to this morning. It's this second coming that Haggai has in view here at the end of his prophetic ministry. That day, did you see that? That day, verse 23, that's the same that day that Paul writes about in his letter to the Thessalonians when he says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. What do you think of that day? Do you, do you think of that day often? Are you ready to marvel? The Word of God says that this is about to happen. Don't miss that. Twice here. God says, I am about to come. And this is the message of the prophets. This is the message of the apostles. This, that, that He is about to come. This is the message that Jesus Christ Himself preached. And yet, we say that was 2,000 years ago and Haggai was 500 years before that. What, what are we to make of all of this? How can it be soon and yet at the same time have taken this long? How, how can it be about to happen and still not have happened after thousands of years? Again, we'll 
look to the Apostle Peter's writings. He said, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I just love the consistency, the continuity of God's word. Then he says, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, or we could say shaken up, overthrown, here's the question Peter asked. What sort of people ought we to be? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? What sort of people ought we to be? Maybe the Savior will come tomorrow. And if it were tomorrow, listen, here's the question for us. Does it change the way that you pursue His presence today? If He's coming tomorrow, does it change the way that you keep on pursuing His presence in your life today? Does the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ cause you to keep on pursuing Him while you wait? To keep on drawing near to Him in in love and obedience and faith. Experiencing the, the joy and peace that comes with a closer and closer walk with your Savior as those who are eagerly waiting for Him. This too is a choice each and every one of us must continually make. Will we fix our eyes on the coming of Jesus Christ and allow that hope to change our lives? Persevere in your toil with a devoted heart because the Savior is coming. This is Haggai's message and really this is the message of the entire Bible. Persevere. Persevere in your toil. Okay, church? Persevere. Keep on striving with all the might that He gives you with His Spirit's energy toward Him with a devoted heart. Forsake those sins. Walk solely for Him and not for for any other desires. And look for His coming. Haste in the day of the Lord. Keep on pursuing Him. Keep on pursuing Him.